They have been doing ministry in Eastern Europe for, I guess I can say decades, and I'll let him share as much or as little as he would like to share about those different things, but he's got the word. Let me just pray for us as we get ready to receive the word. Father, I do thank you that your word never returns void, and I do pray that you would speak to each and every one of us through the Holy Spirit, through the words that will be spoken. God, I pray that we would be encouraged and that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Philip. Good evening. Speaking Russian, So, and we actually have a few Russian language people in the audience today. And I wonder if our friend from Mongolia, you probably speak Russian as well. A little bit? Enough. Um, before I get into the word, um, my better half on our team uh, reaching the nations, reaching uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, give the, a little bit to Myra. She's going to take it all. Though. <laughs> I, there's no place I'd rather be this evening than with our Bethel family, with people from so many nations worshiping God together. And God does such an amazing work. He takes us from our unique backgrounds, from our own personal histories, from the histories of our nations, from our joys and our pains, and he brings us into his plan of redemption as a family. And it's such a great joy to serve together. And God has his plan of redemption for the nations through us as he's sending us out. And we thank you that you are our family together. Thank you. My wife is fierce. She stares down lions. And um, it's good to have wives like that. She stares me down, too, sometimes. <laughs> But it is a pleasure to be here tonight. You know, it's actually, this is unfair for me. I mean, it's unfair in a good sense. Talking about home court advantage, talking about the nations, talking about the family of God, having the nations sitting in front of you, it's like feeding birds in a nest. They're taking it faster than you can give it. So it's really exciting. And um, as Philip was saying, we have been in Eastern Europe actually since 1993. My wife, Myra, uh, a little photo of my family up here, I think, uh, uh, Rebecca, my kids grew up on the uh, mission field. My oldest, second from the right. We moved in 1993 to Lviv, Ukraine. Uh, and in 95, we went back again with our, with our second one. Uh, we're currently based in Krakow, Poland. And from Krakow, we're reaching uh, our primary footprint in ministry is all of Eastern Europe. Our biggest projects now, and I'll talk a little bit about them in the message, is a Romania, Czech Republic, uh, multiple things in Ukraine. We're also scouting out new nations. And some of you have actually been on our short-term 10 days mission trips. So I want to thank you, Bethel, uh, Pastor James, for, for sending just the highest caliber people imaginable. I know that Bishop Rice, uh, we, we run into him and we're looking at projects where he's really a catalytic evangelistic effect for our church planting in that part of the world. So we really want to thank you for your investment in our lives and uh, everything that we do. We served in Ukraine uh, for 15 years, starting in 1993. Uh, we, um, I, I got saved as a, a university student in 1984. But I want to jump to our first outreach in Ukraine, a little photo up here. August of 1993, uh, this is me, uh, many me, skinny me on the right, preaching to the street. And we did this for about... 10 days, and we just had hundreds stopping every day, stopping traffic on the street. Bibles were golden. And we'd, we'd have a worship group out front, and then someone would, in English, you know, music attracts a crowd. So, I mean, Pastor James, that means you don't have to sing in Ukrainian to be effective in Ukraine. 
And by the way, God, Christian gospel music is the rage in Eastern Europe right now. Hint, hint. So we did worship on the street. Then someone would get up to preach, and then we'd have an altar call, and then we'd have to have a follow-up before we preached again. So I tell someone, will you, will you take the ones who just prayed behind the crowd so we can pray, uh, disciple them a little bit while we're doing the next ones, the next group? And someone said, who stepped forward? I said, they did. And we would just have whole crowds. We had about 400 step forward uh, during a, about a 10-day period. We only thing we knew what to do was to preach the gospel and hoping and praying that the word of God would not return void. And the hunger was just so intense during that time. And that kind of street preaching and ministry, just basic New Testament Christianity, lasted us about five years before others were able to get on the campuses. Uh, just some amazing things going on. In 2011, we relocated to here. Uh, we had to leave Ukraine temporarily for some very interesting reasons, not of our doing. That's a part of being a missionary. I know we have some missionaries here that have had to leave the field. Sometimes you have to go over the wall in a basket, but it doesn't mean you don't go back. So there are good things that happen. Funny thing happened, we actually we landed in Bethel Franklin, and we were introduced as Mike and Myra Watkins, Every Nation Missionaries to Ukraine. The problem was some people heard from Ukraine. So about a year after that, someone came up to me and they said, Mike, you know, your English is really good, almost without an accent. <laughs> and this actually happened two times in a one-month span. So I said, do you really believe that I was Ukrainian? Now, it's actually good that we're in such a multinational, multi-ethnic church that people just don't know where in the world we're from. And that's just a bit of a snapshot of heaven. Uh, and when he, Now, he said my English was good. That was actually a compliment. I'm from North Carolina, where English is actually a second language. So, our, uh, so when I learned to speak a foreign language, speaking Russian, I actually had to learn how to speak English all over again so I can actually learn uh, a different language. Missions is fun. Wow, you're a great crowd. <laughs> Bethel World Outreach Church. What an audacious name. Audacious. Some people are like, are you kidding me? You're just on, on the corner of this street and that. Bethel World Outreach Church. And I'm going to dive in to each one of those words. In Acts 1.8, we're going to find out why that is actually not an audacious title or name for a church. It is a very fitting name for the church. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth, the ends of the earth or the remotest parts of the earth. The funny thing happens when you go to the ends of the earth the remote parts of the earth, you start to run into other missionaries who are also going to the remotest parts of the earth. Uh, now we're working in parts of the earth where our every nation missionaries from Asia have met us. And one of those places is in the area of Armenia and what we call the Caucasus. I want to show you a very interesting photo of a very big mountain. And some of you may recognize this mountain. Um, this is where God reset the world. Uh, we were there two months ago. It is where the ends of the earth 
This was the ends of the earth when Jesus sent his followers out. This is Mount Ararat, uh, where Noah's Ark actually settled. It did not settle in Kentucky. It actually settled there. So people kept telling me, did you see the ark? And I said, no, I think they moved it when the water was high. But there's a monastery on the far right over there. That monastery was set on the site of where the first missionary to Armenia uh, went in around the year 300. He was called St. Gregory the Illuminator. How's, how's that for a name? But upon arriving there, he was thrown into like a 60-foot deep well as a prisoner and forgotten there except for crumbs of bread. The, rule, the pagan ruler would not accept that someone like this came. And that's where he laid until circumstantially by God's sovereignty, uh, there was a need with the, one of the ruler's relatives was sick. They pulled this man out, he prayed, and there was a miracle of healing, and that opened the door through the royalty to bring Christianity to Armenia sometime after the year 300. And the interesting things about uh, this part of the world, it is absolutely so old. Look at some of the churches we have here. They're just uh, carved. Some of the churches are carved into the mountains. Um, they didn't have a lot of crayons and Facebook and stuff, so if you went across, you didn't have any wood, you carved the crosses into the stone. Uh, this is one of about one million relief carvings of crosses in ancient Armenia. And you talk about a footprint of the church uh, during the first few centuries of Christianity. You have to be pretty committed to sit there and carve that out with a hammer and, and a, or a pickaxe. But this is where the gospel went. This was the ends of the earth at one time. You're actually one of the ends of the earth no one even thought about now. And now from here, from one end of the earth to another end of the earth, we're sending people, and now missions is from everywhere to everywhere. And we're going to run into people on the ends of the earth. Don't you wish you had a name like St. Gregory the Illuminator? It's like Greg the Light. Or it's Greg Light of the Nations. It didn't mean he brought a flashlight. It meant there was something about him that brought light into darkness. And all he had was himself and the word of God that he preached. And Christianity stuck. And now we're taking it back there again. Now, I want to get back to Bethel. Interesting thing about Bethel. When we talk about the significance of names, about Gregory the Illuminator. The name of this church has lots of meaning. First, Bethel means the house of the Lord. So that settles the ownership question pretty quickly. If someone came into this building and said, and didn't know anything about Christianity, and they said, who does this belong to? And you say, um, you might want to sit down for this answer. This is going to be a non-standard answer. But the work of God, the people of God, the church of God, the buildings of God, everything we do belongs to the Lord. So it is appropriate to call this the house of the Lord, Bethel. It is what better name can you have? Now, let's dig a little deeper. It is also a church. Well, church does not mean building, but it means it is a community of diverse people called out from what is wrong and evil with this world, but they're called to God, they're called to one another, and they're called to a specific mission. That is the church part. But what is that mission? Well, thankfully, you included in the name, World Outreach Church. It tells what you do. Now, imagine a church that didn't do anything. There would be no signage out front. There might not be a door. Some churches like have moats around them with crocodiles saying, you know, sinners welcome here. Well, 
You might want to do a marketing research on how effective that is. Sinners welcome here, which means we don't like you. <laughs> That's not what you do. You're reaching. Outreach means you're here, but in order to reach people, you have to extend something of yourself to your neighbor, to your neighborhood, to your city, to your state, and to the nations. But outreach means to reach out. It is, a, it is something that you do. It is a motion that you do because people are not coming. We are going. Now, interestingly enough, why are we going? And where are we going? The mission, and what specifically is this mission? It is to reach the world, the whole world, every people group. And if that is our mission, we should look a lot like that instead of one race, one culture, and one language. I don't think I need to talk about that a lot tonight because we don't look like that. We're about as kaleidoscopic as imaginable. We're like a snapshot of what the book of Revelation says about the nations coming together. And the church should look like what it is called to do. And thank God, this is one of the most beautiful examples. People actually are not aware of race. And we joke about things, but it's amazing that we are not aware of race. I grew up in eastern North Carolina. People are very aware of race. And then very segregated neighborhoods. So God made sure that all my roommates, I was in the Air Force, in college, every roommate I had was not white. And it gradually changed me until I got saved and changed me more and more and put me in more cultures. And when we ended up in Ukraine... We were preaching in a cathedral called the Museum of Religion and Atheism, which was a, an abandoned cathedral left over from the Soviet Union. And in the back came Africans, sat in the back of the cathedral in Ukraine, and then they came up and they said, Brother, God told us to help you start the church. So Nigerians in Ukraine helped us start our church. Absolutely. Whoever Nigerians... Nigerians here. His name was Chooks. You know the name Chooks? So Chooks, Chooks Ochia helped me start the church. I did their weddings. We had an international church from the very beginning. My, my daughters do not know what black people are. They thought they're, you are Indian, you are African, you are this, you're Nigerian. We had Ghanans in there. We had Mexicans in there from our church. They were all international students. I'm digressing from my message, but you have to hear the story. The Soviet Union offered Marxist scholarships to developing nations, Africa and everywhere, Central America. The Christians in those nations said, hmm, a free education and a mission trip. So Christians enrolled in the Soviet education system, and they went and they started underground student movements, mainly in the late 80s and the early 90s. And it was the remnant of that that was our team to help us plant our church. True story, it's amazing. and we still have contact with these people to this day. It's just a beautiful thing about God, what God wants to do in introducing that to another nation. But God is already doing that here in our mission. Let's talk about the mission. Let's talk about the nature of the mission. Why is it the way it is? God is a sending God. The Trinity is sending by nature. It's not static. It's creative. It's sending. sending. It's reaching. It's fellowship by nature. It is a community of one that brings a community of creation into fellowship. And that community of creation failed, but God still sought to redeem it back to himself and did. And that is our mission. This means God's, God and his people are always in motion. 
They're always going somewhere. They're always doing something. Now, God, God's people and God, we're not tourists. Doesn't mean being a tourist is a bad thing. There's actually an app now that people use to take an Instagram photo and use a background app to show that you're actually in a developing nation doing uh, humanitarian work. Saw this in the news. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We ought to shoot that thing down pretty quickly. It really dirties what we're trying to do. But we're not tourists. We're going to the nations. When we're following Jesus, when he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. He is not doing a tour of Palestine, which I would love to do, but that's not what he's doing. Jesus is on mission. And Matthew 4, 17 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. His mission is to seek out and to save everyone who is lost. This is actually not a New Testament mission. The New Testament covenant was the better covenant that brought the mission into full completion. But God's mission to redeem his creation has never changed. And when we understand that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, there is one narrative of what God wants to do. He wants to seek and he wants to save that which is lost and he is going to redeem all of creation. He is going to fix everything that sin touched. Everything. Some of that Jesus will have to do himself, but we are to be a part of a lot more of it than you would imagine. This is not a new mission. Let's go back to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1, and I'm going to look at all of verse 1 and the end of verse 3 for the sake of time. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And we're going further in the end of verse 3, and it says, And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. What if he says, I don't think so? What if one person in the history of humanity said no? All the people who heard go and said no. No does not go with go. Even though it rhymes, it shouldn't rhyme. Yes, Lord, is what God should hear. And he did. He moved. And the obedience of this one person is responsible for what we have today. It was the first sign of what God wanted to do to the nations. Now, not only did God send him, when the new covenant was coming into play, God got very personal. He sent his son. Pardon me for going to a very simple Bible verse, but we need to see it in this light. In John three sixteen, it is the why and the what. For God so loved the world, there's the why, that he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son into creation. He became like us so we could be more like him. Missionary Hudson Taylor uh, in China Inland Missions, he dressed like a Chinese person to go into China, and he was criticized for doing this, but all the other missionaries were living in fancy compounds. They weren't getting the gospel out. So he, he, he trimmed his hair into a ponytail, put on Chinese clothing, and went in. And he said, if God can become a carpenter, I can become Chinese. God is going and entering in the world as much as, is, as it is humanly possible. That's what Jesus did. He was born one of us, yet not exactly like us. He was more. He is God incarnate. I remember as a university student, when I got saved through campus outreach, I'd grown up in a church where Jesus was preached the salvation three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If you didn't get saved in this Baptist church, something wrong was going on. 
And there wasn't a lot of discipleship. But when I heard the gospel fully for the first time as a university student, that's why campus outreach is, is very big. This is North Carolina State University. Uh, Pastor Rice, was, uh, Pastor Rice back now, back then, Bishop Rice now, he was one of the main evangelists to start that work. I came in a year later. That's how far the history goes back. I actually heard him play worship on guitar one time. Don't tell him I said that. But I was sitting home after I prayed that prayer, and I started thinking about the scripture, and I said, yes, Jesus, the historical Jesus, the Son of God. But then I realized, but he's God the Son. The fullness of deity and bodily form walked this earth and has a mission for me. I almost fell backwards out of my chair. I told my pastor, my pastor said, what's God showing you? And I said, well, I had this little revelation the other day. When I told him, he got so excited, he drug me up on stage, and I had my tail between my legs. I was so, so afraid. And he made me tell the whole church. And that was the beginning of something that I that basically ended up here. So I realized who Jesus really was, and it shook my world. He was not the Sunday school class Jesus. He was the fullness of God walking on this earth with a mission, and he had a mission for me. Now, how do I know he has a mission for me? Because God sent his son. The sending does not stop, because after the resurrection, in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. If we are the body of Christ on earth, we're not Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ. We're the manifestation of all that God wants to do in community in his creation. If we are that, that means we do what he did. That's why he said it's better that I go. Because then the Holy Spirit is speaking to everyone. The Holy Spirit is going before us. The Holy Spirit is touching the nations. There's so much going on. But he said, in the same way that God sent me, I am sending you. And we already read in Acts 1.8 where he said, go therefore into all the nations. Now, let's talk about motivation. Why do we do it? Why do we do what we do? There is no way I can motivate anyone to go anywhere and to do anything for God unless they have an encounter with the living God. No pastor is that articulate or motivational for it to last. It won't stick that long. If I talk you into it, someone else will talk you out of it. There's no seminar that is informative enough to make me go to a nation as some good idea or like some Christian travel brochure. It's not going to stick because when the enemy attacks, when things go wrong, I need an anchor somewhere else, an anchor in heaven that is not shaken when I am in a storm. We must hear something from our living God we hear it through people, but the Holy Spirit must arrest us. We must see it inside. We must encounter God in some way. And the way that I did when I was just a simple university student who knew three or four verses, but I realized who Jesus was, and it, it, it rocked me. Now, it's not about going to another country. It's about believing in God enough, loving others enough, and being powered enough by God to simply move an inch towards another human being with eternal truth. That's what going is. It is very hard to go. If you look at the first church, I often, I think the church is almost like one of those grocery carts that has the left wheel that was off. And you go in the grocery store and you're trying to go straight, it's pulling left. And to make it go straight, you have to push right just so you can go straight. And the more stuff you put in it, the more it wants to go straight. And that means the bigger the church gets, the more it wants to go its own way. The more power it takes to make it go straight. We're that. When the, when the disciples uh, heard that from Jesus in Acts 1-8, 
They're looking up as he's ascending into heaven, and they're looking, and they're looking. Finally, the angels had to come down and say, what are you doing? He's going to come back the same way. Literally, that's the second coming. Looks like a reverse of that with a little more spectacular events going on, but that's how Jesus is coming back. Now go, and they still didn't go. It took persecution to drive them to the nations. It takes difficulties to drive us to the nations. That's the way we are, but it takes an encounter with God to keep the fire in our engine burning. One of the greatest examples of an encounter with God is Isaiah 6. And we've got Isaiah 6, 1. This is uh, Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a prophet, a man of God who hears from God, but all of a sudden he's having an encounter with God that he has never had before. And it's more or less about the biggest real life encounter you can have with the God. Because he's seeing the Trinity about as much as a human is able to understand it. He's at least hearing about it in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. I asked someone, Would you like to see the Lord? Say, Yeah, that's cool. Well, let's read further to see how cool that was. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Then Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am ruined. Remember, this is a man of God. I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I have lived among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That is severe. He's seeing, now the first thing, he's no longer identifying with the attributes of God. He's identifying more with his pagan neighbors than he is with God. He sees the mighty God that he's a, for whom he is a prophet and all of a sudden he goes, I'm like these people, unclean lips. We say bad things from a bad heart. Woe is me. Imagine you're on some kind of stage in heaven this big, but there's a whole lot bigger stage up there, and you're basically looking for the curtains. You're looking for someone to hide. Imagine what you would do. I would roll up in a ball like, a, like a, an armadillo, just hiding as much as I could. Then it gets worse. One of the seraphim flew to him with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. The angel couldn't touch it. That's a bad sign. And he's flying to you with this thing. Terror. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now look what happens. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? It's very interesting. He does not say, Isaiah, will you go? He's asking all of heaven, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The same rolled up, terrified prophet of God is a new man. He's a new creation in an Old Testament sense. Something has happened. And then he says, here I am. He's pointing out his location. Must be a lot of angels. There's a lot going on here. Here I am. Send me. A transformation has took place. In some way, I believe, we have to have the same understanding of the holiness of God, the contrast with ourselves, and identification with the lost people around us, not in judgment, but we're really like them. 
We're really, and on our best day, except for the blood of Jesus, there's not a whole lot of difference. We're still a lot more like the people in the world. And that's actually part of our testimony. While we're in, the, we're, we're in these vessels of clay, it is a testimony that we can live holy at all by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are not exalting ourselves. This, then we become incarnate. We are like the world, but not, we're in the world, but not of the world, just like Jesus. We are the witness, witnesses. We become true witnesses. But it is this constant encounter with God. You know, we leak out. We forget, like the glory of Moses, it dimmed over time, our spiritual experiences. And I don't, I'm not talking about a spiritual high, a spiritual experience. I'm talking about a personal encounter with the living God every day in our devotional life, in our church life, in our worship. That's why you have to have powerful worship. Because we're, it's, we're, we're resonating, we're echoing with the heavens what is going on in the heavens. And this worship changes us. I don't want to preach... Uh, before worship, I want to preach after worship because I'm aligned, I'm hearing, I'm hearing better. Now, let's go back to St. Gregory the Illuminator. I read a lot up on it. He was put in a well over 60 feet deep. There was no Christian bookstore. He probably did not have a Bible other than the one that he had probably memorized, which he had to do back in the day. And he had to wait until someone remembered him and pulled him out. And he still had the a power enough of the Holy Spirit on his life to take the gospel to all of Armenia and to reach that. What was his motivation? Was there a fire burning in him? The moment someone was dragging me to the well, I might want to go the other way. Some people know some of the things that we have done, some of the so-called adventures, and it looks great. But I have the same dispositions and weaknesses of any other person. I have to walk in the grace and the power of God. It's not about human bravery. There is no testimony in that. It is about what the power of God does. Like with, with Peter, when he denied Christ, he was a radically changed man when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he stood before the very few people that he had been afraid of. There is that kind of account encounter. When we read in chapter, Acts chapter 4, and they were prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit again, and the room was shaken, and they began to preach the word of God, speak the word of God with boldness. Over and over again, a people seeking God, filling with the Holy Spirit, burning with a desire to do what Isaiah did. We have to keep that fire going. I'm going to end with a couple of stories about Romania. And... Um, uh, a few years ago, uh, a young Romanian student came up to Pastor Steve Murrow at a Every Nation conference in Berlin. And he, she did not ask. She told him, we have no campus outreach in Romania. You must send someone. And he's like, okay. And he listened. And, and we saw this going on. And Myra and I going, we're going to end up getting this. I'd, got call, I'd been called to somewhere else. We never had a calling for Romania. But a lot of other people had callings. And then it, so we went in there. And we're traveling through Transylvania. We're eating garlic food in Transylvania with a full moon. It was, that was a very interesting moment. Have a few pictures here. I want to show you what people look like. The Holy Spirit was working. Uh, we, we had a uh, campus outreach in Timisoara, Romania, where communism began to fall. There's on the far right, there's Keith Gunther, a missionary in Ukraine, sent out from this church, doing multiple outreaches now from this church in Eastern Europe. The God test, Theo test, developed by uh, Bishop Rice, going in different language throughout uh, Europe. At the same, uh, we had atheists stopping for hours, like that young man sitting with him. Can I have a few minutes? It turned into hours of sharing the gospel with people. At the same time, there was a man in South Africa visiting our church, a Romanian pastor saying, I want to join up with you guys. And the pastor calls me in another city wanting to start. Then, the strangest story of all, let's go to the next photo. 
Uh, this is our outreach with a lot of unbelieving students. We, we had people, we had Muslims in there. We had all different kinds, we had atheists in there sitting down for hours talking about the gospel, not arguing. And the Holy Spirit is, is doing this. Now, one of my best examples, last photo here, Japanese guy, second from the left, Yujiro Takagi, grew up in Romania because his parents went there to do real estate. After that, he went to college in Japan, got connected with every nation churches, went to study at our School of World Missions in Philippines, and finally he has gone back to Romania to start a church. God is speaking the same thing to all of these different teams in our every nation movement. These things are going on. It is our biggest sphere of ministry right now that we're leading these teams. God actually did not call us to do it. God showed us, I'm calling other people to do it, but I want you to equip them to do it, and then you're gonna go do something else. I cannot keep up with God. I have to raise up leaders. I have to move to the next thing. Just the most amazing things going on. Someone told me a very interesting thing this week. They said, my, my son asked me why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Why did he even have to leave? I said, well, it's a child's question. I said, why don't you tell him this? He's going to prepare a place for us. So, and since there's so many people who are going to be in heaven, he, he needs to stay there a long time to prepare a lot of places. Child's answer, but it's the truth. He, I, Jesus does not have a construction company in heaven. We know that. But he is preparing a place for us. For us, Jesus prayed for us and for those who would believe through us. Now, what does the end game of what Jesus wanted to do on the earth look like? In Revelation 7, 9, and we'll end here. After these things, and this is the end. This is the rolling up of the scrolls of everything God is doing. After these things, I look and behold a great multitude which no one could count. From every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. And they're proclaiming the glory of God. The same thing that Isaiah saw, the nations are now standing before it in grace and forgiveness because of decisions that we made where we say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me. Where this church says, here I am, here we are, send us. There's no one person or one church that can do this. But it takes less than you think to reach more than you can count. It takes much less than you think to reach more than you can count. It just requires a changed and empowered heart to cry out, here I am, Lord, send me. This is how we take the nations. This is our part in calling the great wedding feast of the Lamb in the book of Revelation, where creation itself is restored. The Bible says creation is actually waiting for us to get the job done. God has a lot to do because God wants to restore that too. You know, this is the easy crowd tonight, but it's harder to get other people to see this. I cannot preach to everyone, but you can and then them to them, and them to them. And that's how we reach the nations. But the Holy Spirit has already begun to work. He's asked us to join with him in this. Can we pray? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for Bethel, world, outreach, 
church. I thank you for the calling on this church. I thank you for the calling for the leadership team. Pastor James, Bishop Rice, Bruce, JT, every, everyone. There's so many names that I should be naming. And I thank you for the representation. It's such a beautiful picture of what you're going to do in Revelation. It's, it's a snapshot right in front of me with hungry mouths, hungry hearts, saying, here I am, Lord, send me. We are here at Bethel, a church of the nations. But, Father, give us a hunger for more. Further up, farther in, more fruit, more than can be counted here, over there, and way over there. Thank you for the grace given to this church. Bless them with fruit that remains. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can stand to your feet. Um, we're closing. Yeah, that message was great in ways you may have even missed because Mike wasn't giving us information. He gave us, uh, he celebrated who we were as a church, first of all. Thank you, Mike, for acknowledging the church. You, you guys make our church great. You bring people from the nations. I just thank you. I celebrate you. It's a privilege to work with you. He also told us that the work we do is alive and well all over the world. It's alive and well that it works. He also didn't fail to remind us to keep doing that work. Um, many times we come to this moment in our church where we meditate on going. And, and, and a lot of times when you hear missionaries like that, it's such a radical thought um, that maybe God would uh, transport you or, or ask you to go so far. Um, God is wiser than we think, you know. He's typically preparing you in a very basic way, in a very local way. And so I know our brains go to the most profound thing. I'm going to be a missionary. But I want to get you to interpret his message in a way that says, I'm going to be missional. I'm going to live a life on mission. Yes, I know probably some of you are going to go to nations here, closed nations, You're, you'll be someone's miracle. You will be that. What do you do on the journey to that place? You live missionally. There's a neighbor, there's someone from another ethnic group than you that's right around you. And you know what they represent to you? An open door. The gospel conversations that Mike and Myra were having in other nations where people were just happy to talk about Jesus. Now, you might be feeling, Mike can do that. I can't do it. You know where we all started? With the knowing very little. One of the things your church is about is equipping you and empowering you to go out and do mission work. This next season for us is about being missional and intentional and then fruitful. I'm believing God that there's someone that's in your sphere of influence right now waiting on you. The Bible says when there's a harvest, we pray for the laborers to the harvest field. And you know what we really need? We need to be filled with the Spirit like they did in Acts 4 and speak the Word of God boldly. They needed that. They were in Jerusalem. I mean, it wasn't like their life wasn't on the line. Some of us, sometimes the job's on the line. You got this thing bubbling on the inside that says, say something. 
but you always maybe wait. I'm, I'm, I'm actually asking you to hear the message today and take the next missional step to just be one person that's filled with the Spirit and they open their mouth to their neighbor. They actually just begin to speak. Show kindness. Show love. Be gracious. Whenever you see a missionary like Mike and Myra, I encourage you to go up to them and encourage them. You know, when you live as a missionary, you live based on people giving you a financial gift to do your work. How many, you know, I've earned every paycheck I've been given. Sometimes I didn't do the work. He just presented someone who did the work. I'm proud to know him. I'm proud to serve him. I'm proud our church supports him. But don't just think you're meeting ordinary people when you meet the missionaries in our midst. You're meeting people who need your prayers. They need your financial support. They need you. Yes, we support the church. But sometimes you have to hear God, the Holy Spirit, saying, oh, I need to do more. Go share a burden with them. This week, your homework assignment, should you choose, what's that mission about? Should you choose this mission? I love that part of it because it's not forced. I'm a forceful personality. I don't know how to get out of speaking forcefully yet, you know. But I do, but I do want you to know, I thank you, Pastor Bruce, I received that too. I do want you to know, yes, it's a mandate, but more than that, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that when you stand before him one day and he rolls the tape of your life and he says this to you, every time I whispered the smallest hint that you could do something for me, you said yes. You said yes. So just, we're going to close by raising our hands. Close your eyes. Don't go so far in your mind's eye that you, you see something you can't achieve. I want you to see the low-hanging fruit of a neighbor, a friend, who just needs you to reach out and show love and share to say, see them, get a, get a picture of them. And as you get a picture or let God bring you a picture of somebody, begin to intercede. Say, Lord, give me the strength. Fill me with the boldness. Give me the courage. Give me the ability to invite them. Give me the ability to love them. Give me a heart like yours. Transform me. Help me love other people like you love other people. I trust you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Lord, as we leave this place, we pray you go with us. We pray that you would keep us in the center of your will and as the apple of your eye. And we'll give you praise for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, here's your...